You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody, West? Dead Air Nipe here with Always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1979-1984-classic-the-prey-oh-man-this-movie-is-a-white-knuckle-thrill-ride-I-could-hardly-fall-asleep-while-I-was-watching-it-and-I-tried-man-Lydia-calls-this-a-white-knuckle-thrill-
there is a niche market that has erupted over the last little while, more so than anything. When we talk about physical media, um, we tend to talk about in the horror community, companies like Shout Factory, companies like uh, Vinegar Syndrome, companies like Arrow, which tend to cater to this increasingly niche market with their collector's editions of uh, horror and exploitation films. Now, some people can balk at that, but there's two things that I do like about it. uh, These companies tend to spend a lot of time and money restoring films. And if you prefer to stream, well, those tend to be the versions that end up on Shudder and and, uh, things like that. So you get pretty much the identical transfer. Secondly you get an opportunity for films that will emerge into the modern world, escape into the modern world that were long forgotten. There's tons of examples, uh, particularly recently with things like Edge of the Axe or a few years ago, Final Terror, or with this movie, The Prey, films that had never escaped their VHS trappings. Mm Mm-hmm. Now it allows people to discover. So you'll see when movies like The Prey come out, all of a sudden your 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 feeds will be bombarded with this weird slasher movie that has fallen through the cracks in horror history. But The Prey, what I find interesting about it is its historical curiosity more so than actually the quality of the film. I don't mind the film. There's a lot to have fun with, certainly. But this slasher, proto-slasher, really, um, Mm -hmm. into what things would eventually turn into into the Golden Age, this technically does exist within the, the slasher boom. And they contribute this along with other slasher films into the boom. But I'm like, I don't know if this counts. And here's why. It came out in 1970. Well, it didn't come out in 1979. It was created in 1979. Everything was completed before a very famous slasher movie, Friday the 13th, particularly before Friday the 13th Part 2, where Jason Voorhees actually became a thing. It owes way more to films like Halloween and The Hills Have Eyes then mm-hmm. it does way more the hills have eyes than anything really yeah and that was cited as a big a big inspiration for this film is the hills have eyes um yeah. and you can see it like no one needed to tell me that no one needed to tell you that it's like you watch it and you're like oh my god it's just like what if you know uh jupiter or whatever there was no family. It was just one guy. <laughs> what if? What if that? Yeah, right. Because uh, that's really all it is. It's uh, you were talking about, or it's ten years later when everyone has died off from whatever they were exposed to, right? Yeah, and, and you one left. Yeah, and and instead of the desert, and instead of uh, a mutant family versus a regular family, <laughs> you have a bunch of hikers. And one guy who I think they call a gypsy. Like he was part of a family of mountaineering gypsies. Yeah, a family of gypsies, which, you know, if I hadn't read the description that talked about a deleted scene or a scene that had been moved and replaced at one point, I wouldn't have really known that until the 
expo dump mm-hmm. that we get from Uncle Fester later on, um, <laughs> is- which is spoilery and jumping ahead and stuff. But I wouldn't have known that he was uh, like this nameless monster man was was a gypsy. I wouldn't have not. I wouldn't have guessed it. I wouldn't have thought it. So it's just a weird thing because I don't know if there were that many gypsies. Now, if this took place in Ireland or like Scandinavia or Carpathians or something, and there are many people that do live nomadically around the area, mm-hmm. but I don't know in the U.S. how many uh, truly Romani tribes there were. Yeah, it was just like, um, like, did they come over from Alaska or like, like what was this like I, I don't understand because yeah. again I was they're just like gypsies I was like so you're trying to say that this guy is a Roma I don't understand where that idea would come from I think if you were to ask me I believe that they are using the term gypsy as a catch-all for any sort of nomadic hill people I believe so so he is like a Hatfield as opposed to a McCoy. Yes. So um, that that to me is like a, a, a really strange bit of information. but and, and, and like you said, has no bearing on the actual film itself. They don't spend a hell of a lot of time really trying to give this guy too much more of a backstory than is necessary. Because what you need to know is there is a guy in the woods... And he doesn't much care for strangers. Pretty much. And I I suppose he behaves not unlike a wild creature. And you could almost mistake this for a Yeti movie mm-hmm. uh, at, in a lot of respects, where they're basically taking care of their uh, roaming territory mm-hmm. and killing for, for food or for dominance, one of the two. And that's sort of how this, this gentleman's behaving. Yeah, this movie is full of so many curiosities, and I think a lot of the complaints that can be levied against it is the bizarre pacing of the film. I think that's how come I say that as opposed to like, oh, this is a this is a hidden gem. This is like a, this is like a prowler or an edge of the axe. This is this is a, a slasher movie that you've never heard of. That's fucking excellent. To me, this is more like this is a historical curiosity that I find personally very fascinating. But I think objectively, it's not great. It's not great. Uh, you're right. <laughs> it is a curiosity. If anything, you're totally right there. Uh, I think that a lesser film. <clears throat> would have lost the plot way too early and it would have lost the viewer's interest. It would be laughable Mm -hmm. if it was a lesser movie, if it wasn't handled with the sort of care that these fairly accomplished softcore porn filmmakers actually had. They, there is a, (laughs) no, really like they, they brought that to this film with being able to use good soft focus, being able to understand like staging a scene, blocking, they understood perspective uh, like no one else at the time, really, as far as films go. They understood uh, using light and what sort of camera lenses to be using to flatter human forms and wildlife itself. Now, there was a lot of stock footage in this, and mm-hmm. the, the shots of all the nature was by and large, taken out of context. And they weren't just pickup shots, and they probably weren't shot in the same forest. There were a few that appeared handheld, and those were the ones where they really dropped the ball. But in lesser hands, this would have failed 
miserably mm-hmm. because as it stands, it is well shot. And those weird, long, languorous scenes of wildlife, which is supposed to portray this like animal and man and nature is its own enemy kind of bullshit. It works. And it does have you thinking like that no matter how plain and how like sort of one note that sort of thinking and philosophy is, it gives you time to mull over what you've just seen too. So they are placed not unlike rotting fruit on a Trent Reznor video. <laughs> no, I do agree with you. I think that uh, the, the filmmakers had said something about wanting to use the nature footage, not just to pad scenes to, to increase the runtime of this guy, but, uh, also to to display that sort of like you had said one note um aspect of like predatory and prey relationships and and um that type of stuff but when you couple it with this like i can't tell if this is like a nature documentary with slasher film inserted into it or if it's a cert slasher film with nature footage inserted into it it has uh because the the nature shots are so prevalent they they are it seems like every couple of minutes you were looking at a long shot of a snake eating a mouse or an owl eating um a mouse just a lot of people eating mice <laughs> and and a mouse eating a mouse. A mouse eating another mouse, one of those mice. And um, But what I think the rest of it is, is is a very pleasant watch. And I don't know about you, but, uh, but I get into my head where I want to watch a kind of a movie. And having a lot of variety of those types of movies really helps. So my horror collection has a lot of slashers in it because I like slashers. Um, particularly if they're from a certain age, uh, the, the golden era of slashers. I like those. So this is a good worthy addition to that. If you want to watch a movie that's like Friday the 13th or like Halloween, but not those movies, because you're like, I've seen those movies like 150 times. I can't watch them again right now. And so you put this on and say, Hey, what about this? Um, and it's not what I like. It's not grating on your nerves because sometimes slasher movies like not to like throw one under the bus that we've never done but something like a don't go into the woods i can't stand that movie it's so just schizophrenic if for lack of a better term um it's just so all over the place and so hard to watch and so annoying and so jittery that um whereas this is a good bedtime slasher like it's a nice thing to like tuck you into bed because it's just chill it's chill it's relatively quiet um there's a couple of like loud music uh stings in it here and there but for the most part it's pretty calm soothing a lot of heartbeats that's the when you're the pov of the the killer there's heartbeats which i thought was really interesting do you think this guy just has like a really loud heart or some kind of angina. <laughs> yeah. Or he totally has a really really loud heart and he might have had like a dialysis so he's got like a oh a ganglia so you can hear it. <laughs> uh no, I I really enjoyed that and it wasn't just his excitement it was it could have been him tuning into their heartbeats. Yeah. And like if you really start philosophizing on what is going through this man's head is it his heart 
rate accelerating or him trying to keep himself calm so he doesn't go berserk? Or is it his libidinous nature, Wes? Do you think that the libidinous nature of this, which is, by the way, just tacked on at the end, is it just because it's like, well, come on, we did do porn. We need to we need to have something in there. I don't know. You know, um, this particular story reminds me of a lot of Richard Lehman books. And they don't even go like we don't get to see the the come for Bigfoot scenes where these people are in cages and getting raped by hill folk. We don't we don't see anything like that. We get that that end scene, which we'll talk about later. But like there is a, a story by Richard Lehman called The Island, which is very similar. It's a person in the woods like this guy on an island. Uh, so they're a little more remote, but people go camping and the same sort of shit plays out. And the same sort of end game is there. Although in the Richard Lehman thing, everything is a lot more wanton and sexy. And you would think that he is a porn director instead of just a horror writer. Where I would ex- would have expected these porn directors to go way pornier. And there's only one scene where there's some really like scintillating, sexy, libidinous shit going on on screen. And it's still pretty tame. It's no, It's not a blue movie by any means. So I was really surprised they didn't go super horror movie sexy because you can do that richard layman proves it book after book after book because it's basically softcore porn Uh between two paper wrappers and that was his whole thing right like most of his books are very boner inducing but this wasn't and it's not that i'm complaining because i don't go for that in movies but i expected Uh it going into this which is wild they really wanted to make a horror movie. Do you know why this movie was shelved? Because I don't. I don't know why this movie was shelved. If th- this movie was shelved, so it, 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 I jokingly said 1979, 1983, 1984. It's because this movie has uh, creation dates and then multiple release dates. That's why I said that. And the movie was shelved from 1979 to 1983, which is a long sit. But it's not terribly unusual for i mean the listeners may or may not be aware there's entire completed films that actors that you've heard about have starred in (laughs) that just the cost to distribute them would be more than what they spent on it and there wouldn't be enough of a return they just sit there you know or you know or an actor um sometimes movies get released then actor becomes super famous and they're like, wait a second, we got a movie with that actor in it that we shelved, release it. So what happened with uh, Red Dawn with, uh, I think Chris Hemsworth was in that movie. Uh, Thor. And, and yeah. then, and then yeah. he, then he did Thor and they're like, well, well, wait. Oh, okay. Because I think that's what they had to change uh, China invading to North Korea or something like that. Because that's what they were scared of. They were scared of dying in the Chinese market. So they shelved the movie. But then when Chris Hemsworth Thor became big, they're like, oh, I'll get it out there. Um, so I don't think that there was a reason other than monetary. I think that they, they made the movie, but they couldn't find a distributor for it. I don't know if it was because people saw the movie and they're just like, you know, ah, listen, kid, you ain't gonna make no money off of this thing. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't until the VHS market that this film got released, right? So, like, when yeah, because it hit cable TV here 
in Canada. And I think that's probably until now, until today. This is the only time that anyone, except for maybe people in Room Manor, had spoken about this movie since it aired that one time. Yep. In 83 or 84 or something. Yeah, and this was one of these films that made the jump. It's like the last time you could see this movie was on VHS, and now you can see it in like a collector's edition Arrow. Arrow's always proud of themselves when they could claim that. Where they're just like, hey, this movie was on VHS, and it skipped DVD altogether. And and I, like maybe you could watch like some copy, some ripped copy on the internet or YouTube, but it would have been pretty lousy quality. But now you have this uh, version that you can watch and now everyone's talking about it. So this really, I, I don't know. I don't know if there was a singular, you can't release this because like you said, it's so tame in a lot of respects that the reason why it's like, you can't release it because it's shocking and it'll get asses in the seats. Cause they just want to see blood and titties jiggle. You can't sell it off of that. And you can't really sell it on an original idea because it's like, you know, people have seen Hills Have Eyes. People have seen Halloween. So it's it, I think it, yeah. it just wasn't enough of one or the other. It wasn't a good enough slasher and it wasn't exploitative enough for it to really generate any sort of interest. But when VHS market came around in the early 80s, what the what uh, our listeners really need to understand about the VHS market, it seems bizarre now to think about a time before you could have a movie in your house and watch it on your television. But um, in, back in the day, this was a really new novel concept and people were voracious for it. You think people like streaming now, you should have seen when they, what do you mean? I can go to a store and I can get a movie and bring it home and then I can give it back to you like a fucking library? What? Um, yeah, yeah. It was as game changing as Netflix. And even that you couldn't if you didn't have a, a player for these things yeah they would rent you one yeah they would hook you up man and and people were so starved for product so hungry for it and the, and the other great thing there's less regulations on VHS cuz it was a new market and so yeah all of a sudden for a song you could get your movie distributed theaters fuck the theaters you don't need to put them on the theaters you don't need this doesn't need to go to a drive in we could just put it on VHS. And so that is how come movies like Prey got dug out of the fucking dirt and put onto VHS because they needed something because people were renting and renting and renting. They needed something else. And this fit the bill of like that type of stuff. I, like, And me as a person who avidly rented and watched horror movies in the era of VHS, I don't fucking remember this. Like, <laughs> like I, Oh, certainly I don't. I, don't, I wish my mom was around because I would actually ask her if she had seen this. And there's a very good chance she might have. But there were so many of them. There were so many movies. Uh -huh. It's it's like, you know, you feel like you've reached the end of Netflix. I know I have. Yeah. And you feel like you've reached the end of Shudder, which is a smaller and more niche group anyway. So it's easy to feel like you've reached the end of that. I don't think there was ever reaching the end of VHS because you had to rely on only what you could get at arm's length yeah and you could go to other cities you could go to larger cities you could go to like uh chinatown and try and find burnt or not burnt like bootleg movies you could go to conventions mm -hmm. and specific conventions to try and get bootlegs you mm -hmm. could you join mail order services but it was yes. really only what you could tangibly get right mm -hmm. so there wasn't just like 
steal it on the internet. And I will say in YouTube's defense with this one, and it's probably thanks to Arrow, is that the rentable version that's on YouTube of this movie is mm -hmm. perfect quality. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Mm. Uh, I think this suffered a lot of what the Poughkeepsie tapes did where for the longest time the only version of the Poughkeepsie tapes was on YouTube and it was so garbage and it had that weird fuzz to it so that yeah. it wouldn't get taken down. It was so very weird. But once it was released, there's no other copies of it available. So the internet has been purged of shitty copies of the Poughkeepsie tapes, which is kind of yeah. nice. But in the same respect, you have to have bought it to mm -hmm. watch it now. Which I guess the prey is in the same boat. Like you can rent it now for sure, but there's no. I don't think there's any shitty copies out there. No, and I think that like like I don't want to sit here in front like I fucking know what this movie is. Like you know I know a lot of um, you see it online a lot of the times. A lot of people in our business uh, who really like horror, they're just like, oh yeah, fuck, I saw this years ago. I was like, did you actually though? <laughs> really? Like, come on, man. Like, like, there's a reason. It's okay to say that you didn't see something. It's okay. That's why I think Blood Rage took horror by storm when it was re-released because mm -hmm. no one, N-O-1, had ever seen that movie, it seemed. Uh, there was no one that could even really be like that. There was maybe, like, Tal Zimmerman, and that's it. <laughs> and no one else had seen that movie. Yeah. But, like... Yeah, no one, no one, you had, they had to, they were forced to drop that pretense yeah. because those releasing it knew no one had fucking seen it because it had literally fallen through the cracks. Yeah, and that was like one of those, fuck man, what an, like, that's one of those instances where like that took Blood Rage, just to talk about Blood Rage for a second, fuck the prey, let's just talk about Blood Rage for a second. <laughs> it's like, that took me back, I'm, we did that for the show, and I remember I it was kind of like a, I made you, like we had to drop everything I, 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 because like it was like such an experience of like I went to the store I looked at a box I was like oh what's this and I read the back of the box and I was like oh that sounds cool fuck it I'm gonna buy this and I bought it and it was so exciting and so cool and so well done and, and I was like, ah, oh, Lydia, fuck, fuck the show line. Like, we're going to do this movie next. And you're like, well, okay, mm -hmm. like, what is this? And and I think, like, it really was an old school eruption of excitement and discovery that you don't get anymore. Like, because so yeah. many things have been talked about to death. How many times have you actually sat down at, with a movie, like, where you're just like, I don't know anything about this? Because... People, either the 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 twenty four seven horror news cycle, movie news cycle, constant stream of social media, constant um, exposés and think pieces about literally every movie that these that we can get our hands on. How many times can you blindly like, oh yeah, look at this? What's this? Oh, it's from back in the day, back during the horror boom, oh the slasher boom of the nineteen seventies, early eighties, and. Like, you're just like, oh, my God, I had no idea this existed. Prey also is just fun to discover these movies. It's fun to um, it's fun, really, to see what the industry was doing as it was gestating into what it would become. Because the nice thing about this was like when you look at what the writers had to go on in terms of movies like this, it was a very small stock, right? And they didn't have the internet. They didn't have fucking 
uh, future site. They couldn't know where the industry was going. So they made something that kind of borrows a lot of different elements that still counts as a slasher, but is still sort of wholly unique to when it was made. I know I'm rambling, but like... No, yeah. No, it's fine. Like, you can ramble because it's... The movie itself rambles, so yeah. it's fitting. There you go. But you're right. Like, it, it is a slasher. It's a slasher light, and it does rely on, um, like, hillbilly horror, which wasn't even coined as a term at the time. No. So it's sort of one of the beginnings of that. And at the same time, just sort of the little brother to all of that, because it isn't full on any one sort of movie either mm-hmm. um i really do like the way it's shot like some of the gems that we get nowadays it seems that they have to really pull the wool over our eyes you know like uh cloverfield or something or mm-hmm. like the blair witch movie being released all of a sudden like mm-hmm. boom guys it's out tomorrow that sort of stuff is the only the closest we get to excitement or just hearing about a movie like that Let It Snow movie that I had shared on yeah, Twitter. Yeah, I saw that. The yeah. next day I watched it. Yeah, like it was really good, but I haven't had that experience like you got to have and like we got to have with Blood Rage where it's like, yeah, you go to the store, you pick up a movie and go, oh, that sounds good. And then get your mind blown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, The Beach House did that as well, where it was sort of like, oh, what's Beach this Beach House, House yeah. movie? You see the trailer? Cool. Watch it. And there's no, there's no lag time really between Mm -hmm. hearing of it and being able to watch it and no one spoils it for you in the meantime and you don't hear the pundits or see the 100 different ending explained videos quote unquote and all that bullshit but like the prey i mean if it were because it's shot so beautifully like the lighting especially in not the opening opening scene where it's the fire and you hear like the screaming of people dying Mm -hmm. but the next scene with the husband and wife in the forest Mm -hmm. um seeing that trailer that could have been created anytime and i would be hooked because it's there's something in the woods and these two people are just far enough in the dark to mm-hmm. not be able to know what is going on where mm-hmm. the other is, but know that something is going on and they're close enough in the dark to hear what's going on. And that's oh, yeah. scary. And yeah. it's just shot so well and it's just so timeless. It could have been released yesterday and I wouldn't be able to tell you the difference. Yeah, particularly you are right. Like that scene is lit immaculately because of the fact that the woods surrounding them is either pitch black or a very, very, very midnight blue. And, but the people themselves are perfectly lit and you can see them perfectly. It's not like, you know, watching, uh, uh, some slasher movies or some older movies back in the day where they're either shooting, uh, a day for night or they're, uh, all the actors are in so heavy shadow that you're kind of like, what, what's happening here? Like, you know, these are definitely people, uh, you know, that knew, how to shoot a movie and it was softcore porn that they were shooting but like it's still those are movies particularly back in those days like you know like and they you're used to shooting in close quarters when you're shooting porn and you're used to lighting skin to try and and light it uh, flatteringly and attractively and Mm -hmm. show like all the nuances of different skin tones and shadows and you want many different shades of gray going on Mm -hmm. in there so yeah they pull it off um so you talked about the um, the the couple at the very beginning that gets killed. That is the inciting incident, if I were to use a <laughs> literary term, th- that um, gets everything rolling. 
Uh, next thing, we're treated to a bunch of uh, backpackers. But they're not just any backpackers. They're horny backpackers. But they're not just any... Horny and hot. They're not just horny and hot backpackers, Lids. They're horny and hot backpackers, rock climbers. They might as well be a rock band. No pun intended. <laughs> the, 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 they, um, the goal here seems to be uh, to like get laid and to descend down a rock. Now, one of the things that I think is funny is that a lot of the dialogue uh, was improvised between these actors and stuff like that. So you'll get scenes where all of a sudden you see our, our woodsman, our mountain man, making a, a trap while a bunch of dudes are just laying on a rock wearing very short shorts, talking about like their way to get laid on a camping trip. So he's like, and, and it's such gems as, uh, gang, write this down. When you're in the sleeping bag with a lady, just put your arm around her and slip it in. And slip it in. <laughs> just slip it in. Yeah. So, That's so, the way you do it. I'm taking notes. Uh, fuck, it, man. It is awful. But at the same time, there's like a sort of like raunchy innocence to it because it sounds like they, they also look like a bunch of guys that have never had sex in their life. They certainly are trying to woo women like they've never had sex in their life. It's true. It's true. And some of the the women are running hot and cold like they're supposed to in any good horror movie. Yeah. It's like uh, you have like the typical, like Gail is like the typical chick who's like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be in the woods. I don't want to be hiking. I'm like too interested in my side ponytail and like doing my makeup and stuff like that. And you have like other uh, like you have like Bobby, which seems to be like the more like tomboyish girl, uh, and our our main heroine, which we would really only know. Uh, her name was Nancy, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. and she, like the 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 interesting. So when it comes to the pacing of this movie, you spend a lot of time with these characters walking to a destination, and then all fucking hell breaks loose. But there's an uh, but one of the plot elements that I thought was really funny that I wanted your opinion on as a, as a, as a woman who spent a lot of time in the woods, as a woman who knows a lot about that type of stuff. If you went camping with three couples, uh, or two, or yeah, three couples, you went camping, and you woke up one day, and two of those people were gone, would you a Look for them, and when you couldn't find them, head back to the camp to find the uh, sheriff. Or would you be write them a note on a tree and just keep going? I would write them a note on the tree that has it says, "Hey guys, couldn't find you. Got worried. Went to go and find the hot ranger because he was, <laughs> and that's what you do. You yeah. immediately go for help, right? Like you don't." Yeah traips around keeping yourself in danger and the note isn't going to do a heck of a lot but it should inform them that you're looking for them relentlessly (laughs) and you're going to go and hang out with the the good-looking ranger who was so helpful and had his eye on your butt from the get-go 
Yeah, he was uh, the the that ranger looks like I swear to God, like he looks like fucking Zac Efron. Like he looks like like if if someone told me like yeah, that's Zac Efron's dad, I'd be like, I <laughs> believe it. Or Zac Efron yeah, in like right? a bad Ken wig or something. No, I didn't see it till you pointed it out, but once you showed me, yeah, I know it's totally true. He definitely <laughs> does. When we see this killer in action. He seems to have a combination of uh, superhuman strength, but also he's got the ability to use tools. So he's not unlike Madman Mars. Yes, um, and like Madman Mars, he's got like claws, so he can tear your throat out like a grizzly bear. This is what reminded me of a Yeti, where this wouldn't have been a bad Yeti movie. Yeah, you think they were going for a Yeti movie, and they were just like, "What if instead of a Yeti?" It was a man. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. No one's ever done that before. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, they just like, wow, that we just started throwing money at him. That was such a good idea. Well, there was a guy like this that this reminded me somewhat. And Madman Mars, to a certain extent, although he was far more supernatural and he had a real backstory. Uh, but this guy, like, because it's just that there were these roaming people that were trapped in a forest fire, not unlike the forest fires that are decimating California and British Columbia every single year. Uh, That same sort of thing happened and it trapped this family and this, this young boy was the only survivor. Um, There was a guy, I forget his name entirely, but he was hated in town in North Bay and surrounding area because he was, a shyster who was a con artist and he gambled and then he had too many gambling debts. Nobody liked the fucking guy. And apparently he owed a lot of money. So then he just hightailed it out into the bush and he lived in a cabin in the bush and he would like make moonshine and like sell furs, but only to a few people. Cause everyone's just generally hated this guy. And he lived out there for so goddamn long. It was maybe 10 years. No one had seen or heard from him till somebody went out looking for him. And it's like, that's where one story begins and another ends, in my mind, where it could have gone very hillbilly horror. Yeah. They found his body in his cabin instead, so it was, like... Kind of uh, sad. <laughs> kind of sad. Kind of tragic ending. But there was, yeah, there was a hillbilly horror. But if he would have went, like, mental out there or something and yeah. turned into this man or started, like, having, like, wood woodland brides... You know. Yeah, woodland brides. Forest brides. Yeah, forest brides. (laughs) Oh, my God. You want to know something? You just calling them forest brides. I was going to accuse this guy. like, man, this guy's so rapey. It's gross. But then at the same time, I was like, hang on a second. If you called them brides, that makes me think of Dracula. And no one ever calls Dracula a rapist, even though he is. And you know why? Because he's rich and white. Because he's rich and white and he's he's uh, smooth. He's sm- he's a smooth operator. He's like, he's a you, have operator. A, you have a lovely neck. And they're like, yeah, do me. Do me, Dracula. <laughs> no pretty one, much. Pretty no much. One. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> um, even with that gypsy accent, because, you know, Dracula is... Probably, like, by blood, no pun intended, not as white as he comes off. Oh, yeah, that's actually probably true, right? He's, uh, when the the sheriff's office gets involved, it's not even for these campers. I mean, they've only been up in the woods a day. 
but it's for this couple that we saw murdered at the beginning of the movie that have been missing for a couple of weeks now uh, that they go up to, was it North Point? And that is a place in which a lot of disappearances. Uncle Fester is going to tell us all about that. Yeah, and he, it's it's surprising to me that they don't stop people at that point. Um, But they do have in and out times where people will, on their way in, report when they're coming in and they report their expected date of return. Like Mm -hmm. any remote camping. There's many places like this in one of my cousin's campgrounds in Brestool where they they continued a hundred year lease on this wonderful land and these wonderful islands out Mm -hmm. in the middle of Brestool Park. But you need to report your in and out so that people... Because people have gone missing up there and they've had to have helicopters out looking for people before. And it's no huge mountain range Mm -hmm. where no doubt people could get lost for a fucking month easily. Mm -hmm. So that they give that much of a time, like a couple weeks these people have been missing for before there's any real alarm. And these kids weren't really scared off of going out there. Where, in my mind, they should have been. If there's somebody missing, like, no one else should really be going out there unless they're part of the search party. Right. But, okay. The more the merrier, I guess. Yeah. And they seem to be pretty limited in resources because they're basically just going to get Zac Efron to uh, go alone. Uh, because mm-hmm. I should, like I keep calling it Zach Efron and Uncle Fester. They're not. That's not their. It's, it's not Zac Efron. <laughs> but it is Uncle Fester. It's m- O'Brien and Tile. So Mark O'Brien is the uh, ranger, the young yeah. ranger, and yeah. uh, Mr. Tile, Lester Tile. Lester Tile, yeah, is uh, uh, Uncle Fester's last role before he died. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, no, I did. I did. I looked that up afterward because I was I recognized him, but oh. not entirely. Yeah. I uh, I uh, was probably reading the same thing you were because I didn't recognize him. I'd seen this movie before. Obviously, I bought I bought the Arrow. Uh, copy because i'm a fucking slut for if you tell me that there's like oh a, an old slash movie from the 70s or 80s that i've never heard of i'm gonna go ahead and buy that real quick um <laughs> uh I'll, I'll worry about if i like it later <laughs> type yeah, stuff yeah yeah no i hear that but um uh but yeah, I, I I read that and I was like, is that fucking Uncle Fester? And then when I saw, because I, I was like, wait a second, the ranger. I was like, it's not that young Zach. That's not fucking Uncle Fester. And then when the older guy showed up, I was like, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. <laughs> now about sending rangers out on their own, that didn't strike me as too weird. Even though it is a very big territory and even though... Many people have gone missing up there, and these people have been missing for a while, and they were experienced campers that had been in and out of there many times and knew the area. Mm -hmm. Sending them alone wasn't too weird. My father, one of his first jobs ever as a young boy Mm. was a forest ranger. And really? he hated it because, yeah, he was, (laughs) he got into being a forest ranger because way back when there was a TV show called Forest Rangers. That was the apple of the eye of every little kid that had a television at all in the 50s. Oh. Um, yeah. And so he thought, oh, I'm going to be a forest ranger because that's so cool. Like, I'll be like the forest rangers. And he said he lasted a couple shifts because it was you alone in a in this, like, they had those actual forest ranger cabins that were way up on stilts. So they had like a lookout. Well, look, a lookout, a lookout you, thing, yeah. Yeah. So you stayed up there. For weeks alone 
in the yeah. heat of the summer and the cold nights and everything. And you were responsible for this gigantic range alone. And it was so lonely and so boring. Yeah, he, he did not like that. That sounds badass. I like, I'm sure nowadays it's probably not like that. And they probably like the internet plays a huge part in, in whatever and like, you know, GPS or whatever, but like, I, cause I would just, if you're like force rangers, like you probably get like a big uh, pickup truck and you drive around and you check things out and you just like look at campsites and stuff like that. That sounds cool. But that junior rangers don't get pickup trucks cause they are usually too young to drive. So they're just kids um, stuck in the bush. And oh, <laughs> treated like that, dirt. Make, that makes fucking sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's Summer really jobs. Fun. You know how that goes. I do. But like, unfortunately. Now, they've probably learned that lesson, but there still must be ranges like that where it's like lighthouse keepers. You stick a dude up in the thing. He, like, I don't know, goes mental for, like, (laughs) months alone, and then you swap him out with a less crazy version of himself. Yeah, and it's just, like, that's where all, like, those, like, those uh, sea, like, ghost stories happen. It was because, like, these guys in lighthouses were just, like, sitting there on the rocks for like six, seven months, and then they just start seeing things. Yeah, yeah, it um, probably wouldn't be much different in the northern Ontario wilderness. They're like, I seen them, big feets, big feets. <laughs> <laughs> I seen them, I see. It's the government, it's the government. I think that when you have this scenario in which the the ranger is after these people who had disappeared. You really do a good job, and I do like this element of the script, of pushing the narrative forward without making it last for the point. Because they'd be like, would anyone really go and search for them if it had only been 24 hours? No. Not so what not whatsoever. So like finding the current campers is just a symptom of the larger problem which you had already set up before in your script, in which people had been missing for weeks. So you're looking for them. And that sets the ball rolling for the ranger to, you know, potentially help. And uh, which is another interesting aspect of the script, which we'll get into in, in a couple of minutes, I guess. But like, because uh, there's really not a lot of this movie other than kids go camping. They're not really sure what they're trying to do. They're just hiking. And then rangers go looking for people who are already murdered. And then the young group of people start getting murdered that is essentially all you have to work with and you know, it's fine the simplest plots usually work yeah add a little bit of uh, titties in there and you've got a richard layman novel so yeah I, like i am a big fan of that sort of stuff where it's mm-hmm. like there is a little bit too much sex even in richard layman stuff for me so this mm-hmm. uh, did work for me and i'm wondering mm-hmm. if you would have taken out all the nature scenes this movie might have been 25 minutes long, unfortunately. So maybe that's part of the draw, too, because not a lot happens, but not a lot has to. Because mm-hmm. I think, I don't even think it's 90 minutes. I think it's less than 90 minutes. Um, yeah. But, and even that, like, you know, 90 minutes is a nice brisk pace for any uh, film. I prefer my movies that length, in fact. Like, this is an 80 minute movie and I love an 88 minute f- film. So add another eight, eight minutes of uh, a mouse eating a fucking snake or whatever the fuck. <laughs> and I'd be fine with that. No, 80 minutes. But if you took out all those slow paced scenes, which I'm not slagging on them, but mm-hmm. where they removed and we were to boil it down to just what exists as far as plot and action, 
or things that move the plot forward, there's not a lot to really work with there. Maybe 40 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Then then you're in uh, you're in uh, short territory. It's like, you know, it's an episode of the X-Files or something like that. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. Which um, they had like a Lost in the Woods episode of the X-Files. It was like Colonial Lizard Men was the, the answer to that episode i believe that was a weird show anyway (laughs) um uh when people start dying they die pretty much all at once and the other thing that's fucking fascinating and when you say to me wes what do you mean that this has elements of a slasher but it's still in the, the gestation period all the vast majority of the deaths in this plot happen in broad daylight which is why it reminds me more of Hills Have Eyes on top of anything else. It's because like that movie predominantly takes place during the day as well. Um, when the the fellas go down to uh, go to do their rock climbing, they're they're uh, rappelling down a, a, a rock face. That seems to be what they want to do. Yeah, if this was a modern movie, they would be free climbing, so there'd be like some rock music in the background, be like the equivalent of snowboarders. Close close up hands of like their chalky fingers grabbing into the fucking uh, grabbing into the rock face and stuff like that. But you'd be right; there'd be like a montage of like them suiting up their harnesses and stuff like that. Again, these these guys would look like fucking amateurs to the ladies of uh, the descent. <laughs> oh, completely, completely. And I think it's mostly just to, you know, get stoned on top of the rock and have a fun time getting down off of it. That's what it seems to be. It definitely seems like that's so they smoke their weed out of a pipe. It's very classy. The ladies are just down by the rock face sunbathing. Uh, so they're just like, yep, the fellows are going to go up the side of the rock and then they're just going to come down and I guess we'll have sex and get stoned later. We're not sure, but it doesn't matter because our mysterious mountain man is going to kill these two guys too sweet. And one is like a classic kill, a classic kill for like the big, strong mountain man, like the Jason Voorhees type. It's the head, 180 degrees. That's classic. Mm-hmm. I love it. What do you think about, like, the gore effects of this? It's done realistic enough. I enjoyed it, you know? I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed Man Man Mars. Although, Man Man Mars, I did have a little more fun with the creativity Mm -hmm. of the kills. Mm -hmm. And I had a little bit of fun with the, um, everyone being able to hear their friends screaming. That was (laughs) hilarious. Like, hilarious and stark and horrible and brutal. But very realistic. I Mm -hmm. I like the realism there. Um... Mad. Uh, this actually has a, uh, has something similar in, in with Madman with like the downbeat ending. But uh, when the the ladies realize, well, one dude that we never see his body. I guess we don't really need to. It's basically because uh, the mountain man, uh, the the Roma, uh, the whatever he is, the crispy critter, he just cuts the rope. So he has yeah. like he's not like unintelligent. He has. The ability to use tools. He knows how to fuck with people. He knows how to kill them. Um, that guy falls off the side of the rock. And you're presuming that the women see it. But they run up the hill to go find... Uh, not Joel. Joel's the dude that falls. It's um, it's old Skip. Skip's the guy that gets his head uh, <laughs> turned around. And I, I do like the effect. It's actually a little dis- disjointed. No pun intended. Because he has... You see him 
lying face down, but his head's face up, and she kneels next to him, and his butt's just facing upwards. And I was just like, <laughs> I was like, what am I looking at here? I'm like, oh right, because his head got twisted around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did a good job with that. It was realistic. Yeah. I thought. Yeah, it was. It was. And then it's just like there, there's a, another plot element which I fucking loved was when the girls are running and Bobby gets her foot stuck in that snare and you like they show him making that trap like an hour ago in the film which may as well have been like a fucking thousand years and man that thing kills her really quick yeah it works he knows what he's doing he's probably been killing people there for 50 years right so Mm -hmm. He knows what he's doing, and he'll take any advantage to save his energy. Uh, a sleeping bag, cutting a rope, whatever is convenient and easy. Yeah, he does um, uh, smother Gale, who, by the way, Zach Efron finds her body later after the buzzard's been picking at some lunch meat, which you're yeah, meant to believe yeah. is her flesh, but uh, that's yeah. interesting. <laughs> it is lunch meat. It's like, it, I was looking at it, I was like, that looks like fucking salami or something, or ham. Something that the buzzers would really like. There's a plot point, too, that the sheriff decides to take the tranquilizer gun as opposed to taking the actual rifle. And I don't know if this is supposed to be a dig at his, like, hippie beatnik persona. Because, you know, right away you have this sheriff wandering into the old, uh, to, to Uncle Fester's office and he's offering him like cucumber and cream cheese sandwiches and then he takes the dart gun as opposed to the real gun and the folly of man's peaceful nature (laughs) he should have just taken a regular gun very true very true if this i wish this was a yeti movie because then it would have been sort of explained to me in that he wanted the glory of, of having captured this, yeah. Yeah. And He's being like, able to study it or something or tame it, heaven he, forfend. Yeah. But He's like, Bigfoot no, killed he my dad. I'm not, I'm gonna take him alive. <laughs> exactly. Like or something. And it could be this granola sensibility that has him using the tranquilizer gun. He would have been that per- person that got into what he's doing to help protect the animals and the wildlife. Mm-hmm more than protect people from the wildlife. You see, like, the first time he's uh, faced with the death of a, of a cute girl that he, he was like, I was just flirting with her. He wanted to shoot those buzzards, but then he was mad that um, he was mad that he didn't have a real gun. He just had a, a tranquilizer gun. But he saves, because he's, he's going to save it for good reason. This, you, at this point in the story, you think you know where this plot is going. Okay, so there's a killer in the woods. Okay, so these people are getting killed. But don't worry, here's a sheriff to... He's going to... Like, we know... Like, basically, this is setting us up. So, like, at the last moment, it's like Loomis. It's like Loomis is mindlessly wandering around the neighborhood. And he's going to be the one that's going to, like, save Laurie Strode from certain doom. Not because of anything particularly brilliant he did but just because he was just fucking walking with his hands in his goddamn pockets loomis loomis because he was there yeah and this is a hot version of loomis that this gets is. the girl or could potentially get the girl so yeah, yeah no. you got a pretty good idea of where this movie's gotta gotta go right 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 but they throw 
a monkey wrench into the whole thing because you, by the way, we haven't seen this kill. We've gotten glimpses of his hands, but like we've never seen this guy. And listen, sometimes you shouldn't shoot things in broad daylight. And this, <laughs> the actor that they had to play this killer was a very impressive seven feet tall. The makeup on him looked like dog shit. And the fact that you could like see him in broad daylight, I was like, this doesn't look great. But he gets tranked just before he kills, uh, well, before he tries to kill uh, Nancy. It was, yeah, Nancy. I don't know why I have a hard time. Yeah. I, I remember people in her in the movie that have less dialogue than her, but I'm just like, wait, what was this girl's name? Uh, Nancy. Think Dream Warriors, this is a nightmare, Nancy. Yeah, there you go, Nancy. That, you know what? That's what's throwing me off. It's like when a character's name is Tina. I'm like, am I just thinking of Nightmare on Elm Street? Um, yeah, certain yeah. names, certain names have become like just so associated with other films to me. But um, when he, he they have the, he has this brief scuffle, tranks him, hits him in the head with a log, which I love. They they were very proud of that scene because they show it twice in like slow motion where the stick breaks across his face. And as growing up in a cottage, I'm like, man, I know those types of sticks. They found one of those sticks that was about to fall apart and like strike him in the face with it. Looks really, really good because it looks big and heavy. But you think he's going to be okay. It's like, she's going to be all right, fellas. But no, fucking Zach Efron gets his head crushed. Crushed. Yep, because could you imagine, though, somebody who is that tough and of good stock and good heritage and that has lived alone and is probably all muscle? It's going to take you four times the amount of tranquilizer than you think to put that person down. So, of course, it didn't work. And, of course, it just enraged him. And now he has a forest bride. That's weird. Why do you think Nancy was spared where all the other women were killed? She has good stock. She is strong and has good strong bones and could carry two pails of water. <laughs> there they um do this thing in which it's very um Hills Run Red for a modern a more modern reference, even though that movie's getting old too. But um mm-hmm. where it's like they do a bit of editing to show that many months have passed and they show wintertime and then spring and they show the exterior of Bronson's cave and they have a baby crying the indication of course is that well Nancy was taken and impregnated and I don't know if if she would have like what is she like I'm gonna raise this child or do you think she's long dead and now this guy just has like a baby I I, I'm maybe it's the amount of Richard Lehman books I've read I'm I'm envisioning her tied up in a cage of like mammoth bones or something i don't know yeah Uh, i think she's definitely still held captive and i think that a lot of why nancy is answered in that she's simply the last alive and it dawns on our monster friend who's played by carl stroken by like and interestingly he's starring here alongside uh, Uncle Fester, and he goes on to play a lurch in the revitalized Adams Family movie. So there's some Adams Family fun ties there. <laughs> that is, um, actually and you might remember fun. him as the giant from Twin Peaks. Not that yes. there's any real Twin Peaksiness going on in here, but mm-hmm. I, I would like to look for it. There's a log, but, but no lady. 
No log, but no, lots of logs, no ladies. But I think it's just that she is the last one and it dawns on him like, hey, I, I have strong bones. You have strong bones. Mm. He's like, eh? he gives her that look too where he's like, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I don't like. Which I, I've never read it, but this always reminds me of not only um, Island by Richard Lehman. Yeah. But it reminds me of Come for Bigfoot, which is some Bigfoots <laughs> with names. They they kidnap a bunch of women out camping so that they can procreate. And that's yeah. really what it's about. And I the, can just picture these Bigfoots giving these ladies the, the shoulder and the wink, you know? Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's that fucking movie about Bigfoot that rapes people. What the fuck? It's like hell something or like something demon or night night of the demon or night of the whatever and it's like this wild ass fucking bigfoot movie like like a guy gets his dick bit off and like oh wow let's watch it <laughs> this guy continuously this bigfoot is continuously like sexually assaulting women and stuff like that so fuck what the, i wish i could remember what the fucking the name of it was you're telling me there's like erotica of uh of a bigfoot <laughs> that's our lesson for today Speaking of, I have the latest from Max Brooks, Devolution, here, which is a Bigfoot book that's quite good by people, the same guy who brought you uh, World War Z and uh, Zombie Survival Guide and stuff. Yeah, the book World War Z was a whole different world, uh, a really wonderful zero-day thing. I dug that, and I've heard lots of great things about this. Yes, it's really good, and it's done in the same sort of style in which, like, interviews about... Uh, 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 like with journalists and um, journal entries and all this kind of stuff about this town that was besieged by murderous Bigfoot. So it's very cool. Very, very cool. Uh, worth a pickup if I could recommend a book. Speaking of books, gang, I don't know if you know this, but Lydia is an auteur. And she has a book that just came out. Yeah. I, I I don't know if I've ever mentioned it everywhere on the internet every single day for months now. Uh, but Local Haunts. Yeah. It is out and it, I have a story in it that is called Fading Applause in Quintland. And when I was recording the video yesterday about the inspirations for my short story in this book, Local Haunts, I could, I could just picture Wes's voice in my head saying... Finally get to talk for hours about the Dion Quintuplet for hours. Uh, yeah. Um, it's a booktube thing and it's really unique. And the more I think about it, the more unique it seems. And I want to go and slap YouTube in the face and be like, listen up, guys. There's a, a book with 19 stories in it written by people who met because of YouTube. How fucking awesome is that? I know that there's lots of YouTube authors out there. YouTube hosts that have written books or people that have written that host YouTube. But to have a group of people that are book reviewers, book lovers and writers that have been brought under one umbrella by Regina at Regina's Haunted Library to write a book is a fucking unique thing. So I'm like so pleased to be in that book. I've written and published lots and it's always exciting. But this one has something special. Yeah, particularly since, you know, this was sort of a weird avenue for you because I know from having known you for many years now, it's that um, you your YouTube career 
you know, it started with just like random videos. And then the very early days of typical books, it was almost an ironic book review, <laughs> like where you were just yes. kind of like the reason why it was like typical books. You were just like, this book has a cover, just like many other books. Look, a spine. Like it was almost yeah. um, <laughs> uh, it was quite um, parodic in nature. And then all of a sudden you were just like, you know what? Fuck this. I am going to 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 in, as a bit of a way to blow off some steam, I'm going to talk about books. Because before you became a writer, you started out as a reader, a fan. And the things about fandom is we almost like can't help ourselves. The reason why we want to sit down all the time and talk about old horror movies or new horror movies or whatever is because we, we're fans of the genre and we just we want to talk. We want to, like They say that um, part of experience, it's not an experience unless you can share it the the telling of your experience is a fundamental aspect of experience so with you you took a way to blossom steam and talk about your fandom as another way to publish a book you're like holy shit i'm we made a thing we made a thing because we were fans of things and i know it might uh, you know i'm not going to speak for you because but like you know as as a as a woman who's like written so much and and published and is continuing to publish you know it might not be as crazy as like this is your first public a public and published thing like look i'm holding a physical copy of a book because i decided to like one rainy afternoon make a youtube video it's not that but it's kind (laughs) of like that right because it's like it is kind of like that because the last thing you expected from youtube is like you know i'm gonna start doing these youtube videos then i'm gonna get a book out of it i'm gonna make a i'm gonna (laughs) we're we're, this is the long serpentine path to getting another book published and and you get to share it with people who i don't know if it's their first time getting published into physical media but like it certainly, um, it, it certainly for is. some, for one at the very least, and one of the best stories in the book was uh, somebody who had been like, you know what, I kind of gave up on writing for years and years because it was terrifying and maybe not for me. But now this came along, and I, I swallowed my pride and I did it, and holy shit, I have a story in a book, and it's one of the best. If not the best, like it's one of the stories that speak to me the most in the mm-hmm. book. And he had put writing on the shelf entirely. So it, it, I don't know about like there's other people that have a really good uh, back catalog already. There's lots of people that have written lots of stuff. The organizer, Regina, has written lots of stuff and published and I've written before. And I think that we all come from very different spots in writing careers, too. But by and large, like we're all a horror fans, so it was like a no-brainer that it's going to be something spooky, and they it, I'd have to say the caliber is fairly high. I've been in lots of different collections and uh, quarterlies and stuff where it's kind of all over the place as far as quality, or the theme is all over the place because if it's an open anthology with no theme this has a theme so there is a thread running through things it was a lot like the wicked library one where there was at least a theme and this one even seems a little more homogenized as far as the skill level because we're not just writers all living in our little writer caves who don't really have like outside influence or proper editing and stuff sometimes because we're all very 
um, insular sometimes writers are mm-hmm. uh, and don't get a lot of like feedback sometimes it's 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 just a shame of the the uh, antisocial writer perhaps mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but we all we all read very widely and we right. read and talk about it and critique writing a lot so I think that that really does something for the quality of our writing I think so I don't know I don't know it's all it's up it's free it's free it's not free what am I saying there's a giveaway on Regina's channel so if you want it for free you can go and hit her up or you know what other authors might give giveaways once we get our author copies or extra copies mm-hmm. uh, mine and Chris's copies just showed up in the mail so that's exciting mm-hmm. the ebook is up now and it's very affordable and mm-hmm. all of the proceeds go to first book who level the playing field as far as disadvantaged youth maybe not having access to books and school programs not having access to books first book supplies that and there's a first book usa and that is where the money will go there's a first book canada too so if you're really really interested in supporting the canadian venture of that go right ahead but first book is where the money will go so it's exciting so get out there, guys. Make sure that you are, you know, picking up your copies and um, not just to support Lydia because you love her and I love her and we all love her. It's it's more that, um, yeah, it goes to a great cause so you, and you get yourself some cool fucking stories out of it. So it's cool stories lose. from all over the world, too. Like, that's yeah. the thing I like the most about it is like there's like writers from many different continents and it's all like stories that take place in that area. Yeah. Very cool. Very, very cool. And I have my PDF of Aurora. Thank I you. haven't had a chance to talk to you about it yet. <laughs> my God. So that's been out for a bit. Um, yeah. Are people going to be able to just generally buy it or is it still just being fulfilled via backers? No. So the good news is is that, first of all, for, um, for anyone listening in the United States, um, you already have your physical copies. For anyone in, in the international physical copies, are just going at a slower pace, unfortunately, thanks to our good buddy COVID. Um, it was just taking a little bit longer to get things shipped out than we thought, but uh, they are coming, but everyone does have their PDFs now. And if you didn't get involved in the Kickstarter, which I totally understand, you will be able to purchase your copies of Aurora in uh, bookstores all over. Uh, it's going to be uh, it's, it's going to be distributed. Um, definitely to your comic book and specialty shops. I think um, if you, I th- I'm pretty sure I've been uh, told that it'll end up in the United States and like Barnes and Nobles, and it will uh, end up uh, in like um, you know chapters or wherever the Indigo books or whatever here. I'm sure as well. The only difference is is, is like you look, you miss out on like the um, exclusive Kickstarter covers. It'll be um, cover A, which is the one that Sora Sung drew, which is a beautiful cover. Um, but that's the that's that's what's happening with that. So yes, you don't need to have backed it. You will be able to get your physical copy. And of course, like also um, downloading it off of Comixology if you prefer to get things di- digitally and stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. It'll be exciting the day I can walk into a chapters and see your name on a goddamn <laughs> book. That's awesome. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Looking forward to going out in real life, let alone going to a bookstore and seeing your name on a spine. I know, yeah. And uh, I am uh, I am uh, knee-deep in the sequel right now, so there's more Aurora coming, that's for sure. That was promised and, awesome. and, and is definitely happening. So, so yeah, that's really good. And also, um, and Teresa's back up and running, so if people want to read Teresa, you can just go to Webtoons. It's free. It doesn't cost you a damn thing. I had seen that. 
Yeah, yeah. Like, even though we don't have a show out every week, there's still lots of West coming out there. And yeah. I don't think that this uh, social distancing or the trials and tribulations that Ontarians are facing, not mm. so much as many other places in the world, we're actually getting off very easy and very healthily, yeah. but we still are under uh, restrictions like mm-hmm. anywhere else. It has not stopped our creative output. So yeah, Teresa, Aurora, yeah. Local Haunts. Yeah. I'm still working on books, videos, all that junk. Yeah, you're um you're by the way, one thing that I wanted to say that I appreciate, um, I don't know if I told you this in person, well not in person, but in any way, shape, or form. Me as a guy who spends a lot of time working overnights, uh, putting up fucking pears and apples and shit like that to feed the ungrateful populace, is super happy that Typical Books is available on Spotify because I can now <laughs> listen to your show. And also, um, there was quite an interesting conversation between you and, uh, a dear friend of the show and to us a, a Amy Jane Vosper who I love that episode by the way you guys were able to talk about kids on bike horror I know this is like a this is a long time ago now but like yeah, yeah. It, it was really 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 uh fun and I uh was really excited and not only that but like I kept finding myself to like I want to say something I want to say something I want to say something because <laughs> I <laughs> But then I was like, it's yeah. a recording, Wes. You can't say something. <laughs> Imagine this is how we make people feel all the time. They listen to us, I guess. Like, yeah. they want to interject, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was super fun. And, like, if only me and Amy had more time because yeah. aside from scheduling and her having, like, whatever is going on in Peterborough as far as other restrictions. And she's teaching, right? And mm-hmm. I know what a headache slash super fun awesome fulfilling thing teaching can be uh especially right now in zoom land it's like a very different and consuming thing to be doing so if only we could have like uh, a three-way podcast or even four with chris involved because there is sort of like this four-way conversation that isn't all happening at once where me and chris will talk about what me and amy talked about and you and i are talking about it and Mm -hmm. you want to yell to the the pumpkins and the corn about what's what you're hearing in the podcast but yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that one kids on bikes was a very uh, something that you would be able to contribute so much i couldn't just imagine because i yeah. had you on my mind when we were talking about that so yeah yeah and i yeah. definitely wanted to like like if you guys were going to like talk about us like anything i was just i just wanted to talk about the the idea of like you know, before it became, before we were watching movies that were almost like 80s nostalgia porn, like Summer of 84 and and uh, of, of the new It remakes and, and stuff like that. Like we, like those movies weren't trying to do anything but make what at the time would have been considered like a slick, modern very now bleeding edge type horror film, which now has become in a, in and of itself a genre that we want to look back to and now emulate. And and I was mm-hmm. just, and I just like, I was just like, like uh, I just really wanted you guys to speak more to like, to that sort of point. Like what is, what was weird? Like how that's, it's weird. 
like I just think it's weird that people do that where it's like they're they're hinging on like it seems sometimes that the whole point of the movie was the decade is not the decade we live in and i'm just like why yeah. could, well, like what what is it about summer of 84 that couldn't have been like 2020 or summer of 19, uh, 2019 and then i'm just like is it just because the internet and cell phones have made it so much harder to tell horror stories how do you create closed space to put people in danger to the point that now you have to physically and and very consciously jettison technology if you want to write an effective horror movie that isn't one of those uber modern uh, things that that quote text messages in mm-hmm. all your things or blogs it's not told in fucking blog posts yeah. you have to smash your phone you have to have no phone you mm-hmm. have to throw your phone in the water the killer has to steal your phone something yeah. has to happen to all your phones you have to get your phones put in a lockbox like at the beginning of haunt for you to not have your goddamn phones and even though that movie still hinges on fucking cell phones but that you have to have no phones and have those little tiny orange foam things on your overhead tiny cheap ass earphones that's what you need to have as a walkman yeah. and then it's an 80s horror movie <laughs> all you I need you could have a 2020 horror movie you just can't have a cell phone and you need to have a walkman yeah um anyway we're getting so off topic what do we got next for them Liz? yeah i don't know i kind of want to do something more summary because I like this Bigfoot rape thing that we're going on about. But I also realize it's October. Happy October, Wes. Happy October. You and I are at our most powerful. Um, we the, really truly are like pumpkin kings. I know. And 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 I feel energized by the season. It's kind of like everyone's like, oh, no, COVID. Halloween's ruined. Not for us. What the fuck do we... We don't go anywhere on Halloween. We just sit at home. I was Mr... Yep sweatpants and horror movies handing out candy <laughs> like when i was a teen that's what i did on halloween <laughs> so we um, sometimes have something yummy and we carve some pumpkins and we have mm-hmm. candles in the pumpkins in the house though no so, so that no wiener kids can can see yeah exactly it's like this is this, these pumpkins are for us they're not for you wiener kids but yeah i don't know <laughs> exactly. like, we, like a commentary track would be really difficult um, to yeah. what was like sinking and everything like that because I know uh, list, dear listeners the commentary track this year was supposed to be the omen or the I think right yeah we were planning on doing the omen one and two yeah but like but so like now it's a uh, it's a little bit different but you know what fuck it we'll have something good for you though we'll have something good yeah yeah we'll we'll surprise everybody with something uh, pumpkiny yeah but uh, until then, I'm Last Night. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air, the nature documentary. People die now. Raccoon.